Hello, and welcome to the third episode of our OECD Education Podcast. I'm Marilyn, editor at the OECD's Directorate for Education and Skills. We've just published some new results from the 2015 round of the Program for International Student Assessment, which many of you already know as PISA. We're not going to talk about academics today, though. Instead, we're going to try to find out whether today's students really do know how to work well together. For the first time ever, PISA 2015 assessed students' ability to collaborate and solve problems. Why was this aptitude chosen to be the focus of the PISA test? Well, Andreas Schleicher, director of the OECD Directorate for Education and Skills, and Jeffrey Moe, who led the analytical team that produced the report, are with me here today to discuss the results of the assessment. Thank you, Andreas and Jeff, for being here. Thanks for hosting us. Thank you, Marilyn. But first, I think we need a little background. Andreas, why collaborative problem solving? What did you and the team that designs PISA decide to focus on these particular skills? Yeah, several things came together. First of all, we know that social skills play an ever more important role in today's world. Innovation is no longer just about you having a great idea and doing this, but it's about you being able to connect the dots where the next innovation is going to come from, to think across the boundaries of disciplines, to work with people who think differently from you. Sort of, It's the capacity of people to collaborate, to connect, that is actually at a premium today. The second issue is that we've been able to assess it now. In the past, we had PISA tests that were delivered on paper, and it's very hard to assess collaborative skills on paper. Now we have digital technology, so we can actually you know, test and assess those kind of skills with modern ways. So both things came together, the need to do it and the capacity to deliver on this. And in fact, the capacity, as you were just talking about, leads me to another question. Because as you know, the assessment was conducted not by watching students actually work together to solve a problem, but by mapping how students responded to what are called computer agents. In other words, students were asked to work with teammates, quote unquote, who were actually constructs that they encountered on a computer screen. Now, I can practically see eyebrows being raised amongst our listeners. Can you explain, either you, Andreas, or Jeff, how interacting with a computer agent can reliably be compared with interacting with another flesh and blood human being? Yeah, that is clearly a limitation of this assessment, and it's the very first step toward assessing social skill. But we had to somehow standardize the situations to assess an individual's collaborative problem-solving skill. Secondly, actually today when we work collaboratively, we often work through computer-based agents. It's actually quite a natural way of collaboration that occurs through digital technologies, for young people certainly. You know, it's no longer us sitting in a room, but often we collaborate through digital means. In a way, it's not so an untypical situation. And uh, those things, I think, uh, justify this. And last but not least, we actually tested the validity of this approach. We actually looked at the extent to which the computer agent collaboration is a valid representation of human-to-human interaction. We had a sample of students who actually did the same tasks, working actually together, and the results are remarkably similar. So we actually... It's not a perfect representation, it's a first start, but it's good enough, in our view, to be presented as collaborative problem solving. And for that sample group that actually worked together with other students, did, did were there people observing them working, or was it just a matter of the results of their responses to tasks? Yeah, How? we... 
We looked at the responses to the test and compared them with the kind of responses that we would have obtained through the kind of simulated collaborative environment. And they were not identical, but remarkably similar. So you have strong confidence in the in the results and in people's, students' abilities co- to collaborate, regardless of the fact that they're working by themselves in front of a computer. Yeah, but it is something. It's a part of problem solving as occurs today. There are other forms where human-to-human interaction is absolutely critical, like think about conflict resolution or kind of managing complex kind of interaction processes. That's something beyond the scope, and we have to be quite conscious about that. Let's get to the results now. Jeff, which country's students scored the highest in collaborative problem solving? And did you happen to find any surprises in the results? So among the 52 education systems that participated in the collaborative problem solving assessment, Singapore was the top performing country. And students in Singapore on average scored 561 points in collaborative problem solving. And as a reference, students on average across OECD countries scored 500 points. So Singapore clearly performed better than all other education systems. They were followed by Japan, whose students on average scored 552 points. Other countries that performed above the OECD average include Korea, Canada, Estonia, Finland, New Zealand, Australia, Germany, the United States, Denmark, the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, Sweden, and Austria. And there were also three East Asian education systems that performed significantly above 500 points. In terms of surprises, there really aren't very many among the countries I've mentioned so far. These countries also generally perform at or above the OECD average in the core PISA subjects of science, reading, and mathematics. And we know that performance in collaborative problem solving is positively related to performance in these more academic domains. Students need some level of basic cognitive skills to solve problems, both individually and collaboratively. But what might be surprising are the education systems that performed above average in the more academic subjects, and yet performed only around the average in collaborative problem solving. An example of this are the four Chinese provinces that participated in PISA 2015, Beijing, Shanghai, Jiangsu, and Guangdong. Some other countries that performed below expectations are Russia and Turkey. But among the countries I listed earlier, the ones that performed above average, most of them also perform above what we might expect given their performance in science, reading, and mathematics. That is to say that, for instance, even though Singapore and Japan are far above the OECD average in the three academic subjects of science, reading, and mathematics, they still perform higher in collaborative problem solving than what we would expect. One result that caught my eye was how much better girls are at collaborating than boys. Um, Jeff, can you give us some idea of how much better they are than boys at this and maybe offer a little bit of insight into why this is? Sure. So on average, across the OECD countries that participated in this assessment, girls performed 29 points higher than boys. That's a significant difference, and it's a difference that we observe in every single education system, both OECD and non-OECD, that took part in this assessment. In some countries, like Colombia, Costa Rica, and Peru, the gender gap is only roughly 10 points or less. But these countries are also low performers, where most students perform rather poorly, and so their range of performance is also smaller. And in fact, it's among the top performing countries, such as Finland, Sweden, Australia, and New Zealand, where we observe the largest gender gaps of over 40 points. We can't really definitively say why this is, 
And we can't generally use data from PISA to make causal statements. In other words, we can't say that girls are better than boys at collaborative problem solving because of such and such. However, what we can do is to find things that are related to such gender differences. And one such thing that we found are attitudes towards collaboration. We found that girls generally value relationships more than boys do. That means that they enjoy seeing their classmates be successful, that they take into account what others are interested in, that they enjoy considering different perspectives, and that they are good listeners. Girls put a greater emphasis on their personal relationships with others than boys do. On the other hand, boys seem to value teamwork more than girls, and they see the instrumental benefits that teamwork can bring them. They're more likely to say that they prefer working as part of a team to working alone, that they find that teams make better decisions than individuals, that they find that teamwork raises their own efficiency, and that they enjoy cooperating with their peers. So perhaps it's these gender differences uh, towards collaboration that are associated with the gender gap in performance. But it seems to me, uh, as, a, as a layperson, there's a very little difference between valuing relationships with other people and valuing teamwork. Both of them see the value of working with other people to achieve a goal. So what actually is the difference between, between those two concepts? The statements that boys respond more positively to are more attitudinal in nature, and they don't really have an activity directly associated with them. They find that teams make better decisions, but it doesn't mean necessarily that they work in the team to make these decisions, for instance. On the other hand, the statements that girls respond more positively towards, the valuing relationships statements, they actually state that they are good listeners, that they listen to others, that they take into account what others are interested in. There are actual activities in these statements. And so perhaps if we developed these activities and abilities in boys, it would perform better in the assessment. Are there any particular activities that students do or can do that, that help them perform better collaboratively, that help them work better with other students? The assessment was conducted on the computer. So the type of collaboration that was tested was specific to this virtual environment. And what we found was that students who, outside of school, engaged in potentially sociable activities online. So basically, those students who went on the internet or logged onto chat rooms, or engaged in social media and social networks. These students did better in collaborative problem solving than students who didn't go online. And in particular, they also did better in the uniquely collaborative aspects of the assessment. But on the other hand, we also asked students whether they met their friends outside of school or whether they talked on the phone with their friends. And these are more traditional means of interacting with others and of developing relationships with one's friends. And it turns out that no matter whether or not they call their friends or see their friends outside of school. There is no significant difference in their performance in the uniquely collaborative part of this assessment. So maybe this is because the assessment was conducted on the computer. So students who already interact on the computer and have experience doing this know how to do so for the assessment as well. We can't really be sure. But because more and more interpersonal human interactions will take place in the future, in this virtual setting. Perhaps it should also pay more attention to how students interact online during their own personal time. I was also struck by another result. PISA uh, has usually found a socioeconomic disadvantage is related to poorer student performance in academic subjects like science, reading, and mathematics. But for collaborative problem solving, disadvantage doesn't seem to have the same negative relationship. Could either of you explain why that might be? So students who are better off socioeconomically 
do actually do better in the collaborative problem-solving assessment, just like they do better in science, reading, and mathematics. But what we find is that once you account for their performance in these three core domains, in other words, once you remove the cognitive aspect, which leaves you with just the part of the assessment that is unique to collaborative problem-solving skills, then there is pretty much no association with socioeconomic status. We can't be certain why this is, but one of our hypotheses is that students from all walks of life have the opportunity to collaborate. They have opportunities to develop relationships with others, be with their friends or their family, and to work together with others. This isn't always the case in academic domains, where families are better off, can often give their kids extra enrichment opportunities. But for collaboration, you don't have to be well off to develop relationships with others. So in other words, collaboration skills can, can be developed in any family of any socioeconomic uh, milieu and... Everyone exactly. has an equal opportunity, theoretically, to develop these kinds of important skills. Yes. Andreas, since we're assessing collaboration as a set of skills, I think it's fair to ask whether these are kinds of skills can actually be taught, uh, particularly in school. Can they be taught in school, or is this something that, that students should develop even before they get to school? Well, schools make certainly a difference. We see that students across countries come out with very different results. We also see that there's variability between schools. It's actually less so than in the academic disciplines. That is important. Schools are not as different with regard to the collaborative skills than they are with regard to math and science skills. But perhaps it's also an indication that we need to look at education policy more broadly, looking at the kind of ecosystem that is surrounding students and schools to develop those skills most effectively, recognizing that part of the development of social skills may very, lie very early in the lives of, of children. Uh, we have good evidence to suggest that, you know, social skills, uh, the brain is very malleable to the kind of social skills where in the very early years of children and that we look beyond school walls. Uh, we see, for example, from the assessment that parents play a very important role. The simple fact whether parents ask their children how was school has a measurable effect on the attitudes towards collaboration and the outcomes that we see. The fact whether teachers design uh, learning environments in which students, in science, for example, in which students have more opportunities to interact, to experiment, to pursue inquiry-based en environments, have ramifications on the attitudes. There's a lot that education can do, but it's not about school alone. I think we need to look at this in a more lifelong and life-wide perspective. So it's not about introducing new courses and, and how to work and play well with others. It's not a question of that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think the results show, interestingly, for example, that where there is more emphasis on sports, more activities on sports, you do see actually that attitudes towards collaboration are positively framed. But there are plenty of other ways in which we could foster those kinds of skills, you know. There's no reason that mathematics is taught in a way that students sit behind individual desks. There's a lot hmm. that we could build into the instructional environments to foster collaboration. The fact that some countries are doing so much better on social skills than they do on individual skills suggests that actually there's somewhere that we can make a difference. It should extend through the entire curriculum and not be focused, certainly not, the idea is not to introduce more school subjects. And given the fact that there are such high performers amongst uh, the countries who are assessed, 
Have you identified any particular policies that they have adopted that have led to their success in this field? Or, or have we not yet established what exactly it is that they're doing right that's created their, their success in this? It really depends on what you call a policy. I think what we can clearly see is that attitudes are framed by the kind of uh, um, policies and practices in the classroom, the, the way in which you know, lessons are delivered, the way in which students are interacting, how parents interact with students. Those kind of broader questions, I would say yes, but uh, how this translates you know, into kind of policy programs, I think is much harder to answer. Mm. I would think it's worth looking more closely at the countries that do particularly well on this assessment. You know, Why is Japan not only a top performer in math, science, and reading, but children are even better in, in, in the kind of social skill dimension? You, you go to Japan, you find you know, um, basically at the end of the school day, teachers clean the classroom with the students. You know, That's not because they can't afford someone to clean the room, but it's part of the kind of instructional environment. They cook the meals together with the students. I mean, there's a lot that so, those countries do or policies and practices they have in place to foster greater cohesion in the kind of schooling system. And I think that's the way I would look at this. Now, let's have a, a careful look at those countries that do particularly well. What are they doing differently? I think making direct causal inferences on policies and practices is beyond the remit of this kind of yeah. study. I think we're unfortunately running out of time, but I want to thank you both again very, very much for talking with us. Thank you, Marilyn. And thanks to everyone for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and follow the OECD Education Twitter account, which can be found at OECD EduSkills. You can also get expert analysis on all sorts of education topics on our Education and Skills Today blog at OECD Education Today, all one word, dot blogspot.com. Thanks very much again.